Geoglitch and welcome back to Geoglitch Ministries or welcome to Geoglitch Ministries if it is your first time. I hope you find today's sermon enjoyable but more so I hope you find it edifying and even convicting. If you are a non-believer I hope you stick around and I hope that God uses this sermon in your life to bring you to the faith. God bless and enjoy. So this is background um, about me. Not too many years ago now, I was very um, interested, we'll say, in American politics, specifically right-wing American politics. Now, I didn't know anything about it, I still don't know anything about any sort of politics, and I'm going to be honest, I prefer to keep it that way. But back then, you know, I, I thought I knew everything. And it made me very angry, very arrogant, very upset a lot of the time. Whenever whenever anyone disagreed with me, I always thought they were a moron. But it wasn't all bad. It was something that God actually used to bring me to the faith. Because obviously there's a correlation between right-wing politics and Christianity. And so God used that as a sort of an in to get me into Christianity. And then I heard the gospel and I converted and so on. And now looking back, I'm personally quite terrified of politics i absolutely hate it i despise it i don't want anything to do with it i don't want to learn about it i uh, don't want to know what party stands for what i just don't want anything to do with it i completely just you know it, it, it's just something i don't want anything to do with and i know this because there have been times since then where i've thought about you know politics and i've gotten back into politics a little bit and the exact same thing has happened. I've become angry, I've become arrogant, I've become all the things that um, Christ has brought me away from. So I just try to avoid it. With that being said, today we're going to be talking about politics. We're not going to be talking about Republican versus Democrat or Sinn Féin versus Fianna Fáil or anything like that. I have no interest in that really. Um, a good quote I guess I heard from Marcy Sproul is that the difference between Democrat and Republican is of degree and not kind and I suppose that's sort of where I am now. I don't really like any of them and I'm not interested in learning more. But today we are going to be looking a little bit at politics because the passage we're looking at today is Luke chapter 3 verses 10, 11, 12, 13 and 14. So we'll read it and then we'll see what's what. So Luke 10 to 15, 14 excuse me. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whosoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. So in this passage, in these verses, three groups of people come to John the Baptist. The first is just, you know, people just coming to see what's what, coming to get baptized, that sort of thing. The second group is tax collectors, and the third group are soldiers. So we're going to be looking at these three groups and what John says to each of them. First group comes along and says, what shall we do? They're talking about salvation and, and so on and so forth. 
Now we looked at last time about how we get saved through faith. I won't go into that again. The long and the short of it is we're saved by faith and that produces good works. And now he's about to talk about good works. And so he says, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none and who has food is to do likewise. He's talking about almsgiving. Now, almsgiving is one of the most important things that a Christian can do in their lives. It is vital to the Christian way of life. If we go to Matthew chapter 25, begin at verse 31 onwards. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. On the left, excuse me. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison? And did not minister to you. Then he will answer them saying. Truly I say to you. As you did not do it. To one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. This is a wonderful part of scripture. And there's so much in it. There's a little hint of. Um, predestination there verse 34 and the king will say to those in his right come you blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world but that's not what we're talking about today now the passage is being sort of hyperbolic obviously not every christian will have the opportunity to do all of these things and not every non-Christian will ignore these things. There are non-Christians who put money into the cups of beggars. There are non-Christians who visit the sick in a hospital or those in prison. There are non-Christians who do good things and Christians who do bad things and vice versa. That's not what the verse is saying. Nor is it saying that if you do these things, you will be inheriting heaven. It's saying that these traits 
are traits of each group. It's not saying that if you do the right thing, you will go to heaven, nor is it saying that everyone who will go to heaven always does the right thing. It's not saying that if you do the wrong thing, you go to hell, or that everyone who goes to hell always did the wrong thing. It's saying that as a general principle, as a general rule, as a characteristic of these groups, generally speaking, those who have been predestined by God from before the foundation of the world, after they've been called, after they've been saved, will generally tend to do the right thing. Especially in these situations. Whereas those who are not in the kingdom will generally not tend to do the right thing. They tend to do the wrong thing. And so that's what Jesus was saying there. He wasn't saying that you must do all those things or else you don't go to heaven. Nor was he saying that everyone will be in heaven will have done all of those things. I've never visited someone in prison. Um, if I die tonight, I doubt I'll be kicked out of heaven for it. But those, generally speaking, are things that the Christian will do. Good things, kind things, they will do the right thing. Not all the time. The Bible does tell us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of Almighty God. If we go to the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, we see that it says, What then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all both Jews and Gentiles are under sin, as it is written. No one, not one, no one understands, no one uh, seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I went to verse 12 there, not just verse 10. Anyway. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says, if anyone says he hasn't sinned, he is a liar. We all sin, but it is the mark of the Christian that they will do these good things. Proverbs 19.17 says, one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. This isn't preaching that we should do good things in search of reward. It's preaching that... We will be rewarded in heaven, not by heaven, but in heaven. Heaven will not be our reward for doing good things, but there will be things in heaven which will be our rewards for doing good things, provided we get into heaven. And we won't get into heaven by doing enough good things. You can't do enough good things to get into heaven once you're a sinner. This verse is teaching, Proverbs 19.17 is teaching. One who lends to a poor man lends to the Lord. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 25. When you gave to the least of these, you gave to me. You helped me. I know what you're thinking. Ross, how on earth does this have anything to do with the government? Which is what you opened with. Well, that's where verse 12 happens. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you were authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be content with your wages. Now, the New Testament is interesting when it comes to tax collectors, because the New Testament is extremely kind to tax collectors especially when compared to how people in the New Testament and in New Testament times were to tax collectors. A tax collector wrote the book of Matthew. A tax collector was one, was one of the few people 
that well not one of the few but she's one of the ones who we actually see there are, of the 12 apostles there are some who we see jesus calling them and some who we don't a tax collector is one of the ones we see jesus calling them. It was matthew levi or matthew levy however you say it jesus ate with prostitutes and tax collectors zacchaeus the tax collector jesus spoke to him the bible seems quite kind because here's the thing the only reason back then you'd speak of a tax collector was to talk bad of them. No one liked tax collectors. Everyone hated them. Because a tax collector tended to be a Jew who was well-educated and decided to use their education for the Romans to extort their people. Not only did they extort their people, they extorted their people beyond what the Romans had asked them to. The Romans would ask them to charge um, taxation rates that were quite high. And they, the tax collectors, would... Ta charge taxation rates that were even higher than that and whatever they got that the romans didn't want say the romans asked for 10 percent and they taxed 15 the left over five percent of the tax collectors would get it so the more they charge for tax the more they themselves would get and so that's what you had the tax collectors doing and here's the thing we can't confirm this matthew probably did this matthew was probably guilty of this Matthew probably scammed many people. You know the Apostle Matthew, the one who wrote that gospel, that fantastic gospel? He probably spent most of his time before that scamming people. And I think that just goes to show the love of God and how he will save people out of those situations not save them to keep them in those situations not wait for them to save themselves out of the situations before they can come to him he will take them he will save them he will bring them out of that salvation we don't clean ourselves before we go to god people say oh i'm too sinful to go to god that's like saying i'm too dirty to have a shower i'm too sick to go to the hospital i can't go to the dentist today i've got a toothache It's the same as, as well as that, um, saying you've come to Jesus and changing nothing is like getting into the shower and not turning on the water. It's like going into the doctor, sitting in the waiting room and just staying there. No appointment, no nothing. Don't go into the office, just sit in the waiting room and be quiet and don't do anything. Same with the dentist. Sure, you're in the hospital. You're not actually seeing the doctor. You call yourself a Christian. Sure, you call yourself a Christian. Doesn't mean you... Our one doesn't mean Christ is working in your life. Standing in the shower doesn't mean you're getting any cleaner. You can call yourself a Christian all you want. If it's not true, it's not true. If it's not true, you can't claim it into existence. But if it is true, it's the most wonderful thing in existence. To be called by Christ. And none of us do this. Or none of us deserve, excuse me, none of us do this. None of us deserve this, is what I'm going to say. Matthew didn't deserve it. Now, it's easy to look at people like Matthew and think, horrible. How horrible. He was, oh, I wouldn't like to meet someone like him. The same is true for all of us. None of us deserved it. We have to remember, we serve a glorious, holy, righteous God who hates sin. You can never hate another person's sin a fraction of the amount as much as God hates what we might consider the tiniest of sins. You look at something like 
the Holocaust, or what Paul Potter, Joseph Stalin did, you can never look on that with the same amount of disgust that God looks upon what we would consider small sins. And God looks upon people who commit those sins every day of their lives. And he's disgusted by their sins and he hates their sins. And we don't like to talk about it when God hates. But if God is perfect and righteous and loving, then he perfectly loves righteousness. And if he perfectly loves righteousness, he must hate sin. And so he hates our sin, but he loves his people, so he saves them despite that. He hates the sin in us. He has every reason to send us to hell. But for those whom he has elected from before the foundation of the world. He saves them. From that thing which they do. Which he absolutely despises. And so John tells the tax collector. Collect no more than you are authorised to do. Now there is something interesting there about the role of government or about how we see the government, but I won't touch on that just yet. We go now to what the soldiers said. Verse 14, soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, or by, or uh, and be content with your wages, excuse me. So, He's asking, they're asking, what, what, what do we do? These soldiers are Romans, most likely pagans. So there's an indication that, again, the gospel is for everyone, not just for Jews. And he tells them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your ways. Be fair. That's what he's saying. Be fair. Don't use your position to threaten people. Don't extort money from them in the same way that, well, not in the same way, but you know, the tax collectors were extorting money in a very different way because the tax collectors were the one raising the price. The, uh, and if someone didn't pay, it wasn't going to be a, a tax collector who beat them up. It was going to be a Roman soldier. So he's saying, don't extort money from people. And I think that carries over as well. These soldiers, if they know a tax collector is raising the uh, taxation level and someone is refusing to pay the exorbitant uh, extortion rates, the increased extortion rates, I think John is telling the soldiers, you're not allowed to use your power in order to make innocent people pay something that they are not required to pay. I'm using innocent quite lightly there, that word innocent, but you get what I mean. You're not to use your power to purposefully carry out that which is not just. As well as that, be content with your wages. Be content. If you can survive, if you can feed yourself and your family, don't go complaining. Oh yeah, well, see, we can eat every night, we've got enough money for clothes and a, a holiday every year but he really wanted to get another car we really wanted to get uh, I don't know whatever else we really wanted to get this that and the other I'm not paid enough if 
you and your family don't go hungry, then you're paid enough. You must be content with your wages. And the soldiers were to be content with their wages. They were not to go threatening people to give them money, nor were they to refuse to do their duties. In a way, uh, extorting their bosses out of more money. They were to be content. So, nearly 20 minutes in, we must ask the question, what has all of this got to do with the government? Well, both of these groups of people, the tax collector and the Romans, the Roman soldiers, they were doing work for government. They were working for government. And the government was quite corrupt. Not once did John tell them, leave your government positions. Not once did he tell them, disobey the government. He didn't say to the tax collector, charge less than what you're told to charge. He didn't say to them, if they tell you to charge 10%, you charge five or you don't charge anything. No, he said, you get your orders, you follow them. Now, there are situations where this doesn't apply, of course. We, we, we all know the excuse, oh, I was just following orders. The stereotypical excuse for a soldier who commits a war crime or something like that. I, I was just following orders. In that case, no, it doesn't apply. If your order is to sin, you don't do it. Acts 5.29 says, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. If a man tells you to do something that God has told you not to do, you don't do it. And if God has told you not to do something, and a man tells you to do it, sorry, yeah, sorry, if God has told you to do something, and a man tells you not to do it, you do it anyway. There are sins of commission and omission. You commit a sin, or you omit something that's sinful. Sin of omission being, God tells you to do something, man tells you not to, you listen to man, and you don't do what God has told you. Sins of commissions, God says, no you don't, man says, yes you do, and so you go off and you do it. And so, if you are told by a governing authority, by a boss, to do something that you know to be sinful, either by a sin of commission or sin of omission, you don't sin, you follow God, as Acts 5.29 said. But here's the thing, Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now that's not to say God approves of every single authority, but it is to say that they were elected, they were put in place under his sovereignty. So long as they are not telling you to sin, so long as they are not telling you to do something that God has said you can't do, or they're telling you not to do something that God has commanded you to do, follow the rules, do what they tell you. If they tell you that you have to pay slightly more tax, so then there you go. If they tell you you can't go to church, or you can't preach certain things, well, no, you don't listen to that now. Now they're interfering with God. And of course we have these ideas of separation of church and state. No one seems to understand what it actually means. I think everyone who advocates, or at least most of the people, most non-Christian, most worldly people who advocate for church and state have absolutely no issue 
when the state tells preachers what they can and cannot say. People who want to separate church and state have absolutely no issue when the government says, you're not allowed to say that. When the government arrests preachers for preaching the gospel. No problem with that. But when a preacher says, I don't like what the government's doing, oh, that's... That's, I, I think God said that's number one sin, isn't it? You, you can't be doing that now. S- separation of church and state. I said, if someone else is planning your sermons for you, they're not separated from the church. If someone else is telling you what they can and cannot preach, they're not separated from the church. If the government is responsible for what comes from the pulpit, that's not separation from church and state. And if the government is responsible for what is said in the pulpit, but the person at the pulpit is not allowed to say anything about government, that's not separation of church and state, that's just a restriction on the church for the sake of the state. It's a vastly different thing. Now, I'm not going to give my opinion on separation of church and state, because, like I said, I try and keep out of politics generally. I never, never hear me tell you Go vote for this person, go vote for that person. Even if it's something like, say, abortion. You're never going to hear me say, don't vote for the uh, the, the, uh, the candidate who's you know, pro-choice. What I will tell you is that abortion is absolutely evil. It's child murder. It should never be done and that anybody who supports it is a horrific, horrific person. And then I hope you get the general gist from that. But you're never going to hear me say, vote... I'm a Sinn Féin, vote Republican, I don't know, I don't know what Sinn Féin believes, like I say, I try and keep out of it. And as I quoted R.C. Sproul at the start, the difference between Democrat and Republican is in degree, not kind. The truth is, there is no political party, no mainstream political party, at least that I'm aware of, that is legitimately dedicated to upholding God's truth. And so for that reason, you're Almost certainly, unless something drastic changes, you're never going to come on to here, listen to one of my messages, one of my videos, and hear a 30 minute rant of why Sinn Féin or Fianna Fáil or whoever is great, and so on and so forth. The only time I'll ever give my issue or my opinion on a political issue is if a moral issue has been made politicized. When I give my opinion on abortion, I'm not giving my opinion on a political issue, I'm giving my opinion on a horrific modern, very prevalent moral issue which has become political. I'm not giving my opinion on it as a political thing. I'm giving my opinion on it as a moral thing. The fact that it's political is secondary. You're not going to hear my opinion on what I think tax rates should be because there's not much moral there. That's pretty much just politics. You're not going to hear my opinion on immigration policy or foreign policy or anything like that. Because it's not my job to tell you those things. It's not my place to tell you those things. It's my job to go verse by verse to the scripture and explain it to you. And the scripture says surprisingly little about Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin. But there are hints of the wider ideas of politics, like do we follow the state or not. Here, John does not tell these people, 
abandon the state, stop working for them, so on and so forth. He says, do what you're told, do what they tell you, be a good worker, be a good employee, whatever you do, do not sin. Do not use your position as a platform to sin. You don't get to do that. If you're a tax collector, if the orders come in, the people are to pay 15% on tax, you do not make them pay 20. Nor do you take it upon yourself to make them pay 10. Your orders are to make them pay 15, you make them pay 15. If you're a soldier, you do not go around exercising your might over people. Making a show of the fact that you're a soldier. You do your job, you do what you're told, you keep the peace, you do whatever else you're meant to do. As an official, you do what you're told, unless you're told to sin. And you certainly don't go off and sin, whether you're told to or not. Do what you're told, you do, you follow orders, essentially, provided the orders do not violate the commandments of God. And so my closing plea to you is, remember, don't be divided by politics. Like I used to be, like I say, I used to be so arrogant, so full of myself, so angry over the whole political thing. Even though uh, it was politics of a country I didn't belong to. In a point where I didn't, I wasn't even registered to vote in my own country. Too young to vote in my own country. Arguing with strangers online, acting like I knew everything. Without actually bothering to look into it. If you want to be interested in politics, Mike, don't go down that route at the very least. And don't let politics divide us. There are some issues which we cannot give ground on. We must die on the hill of abortion. We must die on the pro-life hill. We cannot give up ground on that. But when it comes to taxation policy or whatever else, that's purely political and has nothing to do with scripture. Don't distance yourselves from brothers or sisters in the faith because they didn't vote for the correct money-hungry corrupt organisation that you did. Christ is king of heaven and of earth. Whoever currently calls themselves president is answerable to him, as are we. We must always remember that. I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you would like some other ways of consuming G Witch Ministries, then go to the links in my About section on my YouTube channel, and you will find my website, my TikTok, my Instagram, and my Spotify, where you can find either snippets of these sermons or the full sermons. If you would like to finance these sermons or help me monetarily, then you can also find my Patreon. You don't have to do this, but it would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for watching. God bless. And salam.